my attention that I should actually follow the announcement list when I look at it because I totally got in such a hurry to talk about the love feast and the candy. I forgot to talk about the business meeting. So the important stuff, please uh, keep in mind, we do have, um, uh, I was supposed to mention it last week and according to the, the bylaws and stuff, I'm supposed to give you guys a week to pray about it. One of the things we talked about at the men's prayer breakfast is we would like to consider the Grovers uh, to bring them on. Um, and so we need to have a business meeting for the church to vote on that. So if you would be praying for that ne this week, and then so uh, next week following the uh, afternoon service next week, we'll just have a short business meeting to discuss the Grovers, but we also need to... Uh, uh, pray about and see if we want to, we have a little more coming in for missions than we are actually giving towards missions, so we may want to consider some of our missionaries for a raise, so that's something else we, we are potentially looking at, so would love for you guys to be praying about that, and we'll bring that to the church next week, and then also, just as a quick reminder, uh, after the afternoon, or after our uh, lunch, uh, the love feast, when we're done with that, we are going to come back over here today. We're not staying over there. We will come back over here uh, for the afternoon service, and we're going to have some fun with what I like to call a singspiration. We're going to pick the allow some people to pick some of their favorite hymns, and we're going to go through them, and we're going to take some time to look at some of the words in that hymnal and understand why we sing the songs that we sing. Um, there, we don't sing songs. It's not for entertainment. We sing to an audience of one, and uh, and there's a reason why we sing the songs we sing. So. Um, so we will be coming back here for that. Uh, at this time, we'll go ahead and release the, all the kids for Children's Church. Both big and small, short and tall. Let them all go. All right. And uh, this morning, turn your Bibles, if you would, to James chapter 2. If you have your you should have a handout. Uh, if, if you hopefully received a bulletin, there's a handout in that bulletin that goes along with this morning's message. James chapter 2. Is there anyone here that did not? If you did not get a bulletin or a handout, just raise your hand and we'll have somebody bring one to you. It looks like everybody's good to go. Okay, so James chapter 2. We're going to be uh, starting in verse 14 and reading down through the end of the chapter here. The Bible says, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. 
You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only? Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Title of our message this morning is, What does doth it profit? What doth it profit? So the question is, what does it profit? What does it profit if I say something to you and it's really not true, especially in a, if I know in my own heart it isn't true? What, what profit would there be if I came to you this morning and told you that yesterday I went down to the Bitterroot River and uh, did a little fly fishing and I caught a 35-pound rainbow out of the Bitterroot River? Many of you would be like, oh, I'd like to see that. If you caught it yesterday, uh, in the day and age, oh yeah, I, I didn't have my phone on me, and, and I let it go because, you know, uh, big fish spawn better, and they make more fish, and, uh, you know, what profit is there of me making up a story or, or telling you something that really isn't true? Now, if I came to you and I said, you know, my, my son and I this year were out elk hunting this year, and we both killed bulls on the same day. We both shot a bull, same day. Then I pulled out my phone, and I pulled up the pictures, and I show my son with a bull and me with a bull, and they're time-stamped for the same day, and they even have the GPS setting, which I won't let you see. But, um, but that holds a little more weight, doesn't it? Because there's evidence to what I just told you. I told you something, and then I provided evidence of what I told you. There's a little more profit to something behind that. What profit is there in boasting of things that we have no evidence to prove? That is what we're going to be discussing this morning with our passage in James here. Uh, understand that this book is a controversial book. There are many scholars who thought that the book of James should not be in the canon. I believe Martin Luther was one of them. He believed that, as he read it, that James was saying that you must do works to be saved. But I'm going to show you this morning uh, that that is not what James is saying. James is not saying that works is a requirement of salvation. He's saying it's a product of it. It's a product of it. And that's what we're going to see this morning. <clears throat> Faith is a key doctrine in our Christian life, right? Faith is a key doctrine. The sinner we see right out the gate is saved by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Or not of works, lest any man should boast. A believer must walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Right? We walk by faith, not by sight. We don't go around saying, God, we, we don't throw out the, least, the, the fleece, and we, we don't try to challenge our God. We don't need things to see. We live by faith, not by sight. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And whatever we do apart from faith is sin. 
Whatever we do apart from faith is sin. Romans 14, 23. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. What then is faith? What are we talking about here? What are, what are we talking about? Faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 is really a great definition of faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Right? We don't live by sight, so the, it's the evidence of things that's not seen. It's the substance of things that we hope for, but it is the evidence of those things not seen. I love how Warren Wiersbe, he defines faith this way. He says, Faith is confidence that God's word is true and conviction that acting on the word will bring his blessing. We're actually going to see an example of that here in a little while. But what kind of faith really saves a person? Is it necessary to perform good works in order to be saved? How can I be sure that I am exercising a true saving faith? James answers all these questions in this passage. <clears throat> this morning I want you to see three types of faith that will help you determine which type of faith you are practicing and which is profitable. And the first type of faith that James describes here is a dead faith. A dead faith. We see this in verses 14 through 17. He starts it off. Verse 14 there, it says what? What doth it profit? So what does it profit? Um, verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not, have not works, can faith save him? So can faith save him? Remember, wherever you find things that are true, you will find things that are false or counterfeit, right? Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's Jesus Christ. See, there are those that say they are believers. They say they are saved. They know the right things to say. They have the Bible verses memorized. They faithfully attend church, yet their walk doesn't match their talk. We've heard the saying, your talk talks and your walk talks. But your walk talks more than your talk talks. Right? It's what people see in you. And that's what James, he shows us right here in verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye have them, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? What good is it if somebody comes to your door, knocking on your door, and it's cold and rainy outside, and they're standing there, and they're cold, and they're wet, and they're hungry, and you stand at the door of your home with a nice fire going, and you got meal on the table, and says, well, you know, I'll be praying for you. I hope, well, I'll be praying that you'll get some dry clothes, and you'll get a warm meal somewhere. Have a nice day. And you shut the door in their face. What does it profit? If, if we see somebody in need, but we don't give them the things that they need, and we have the things that they need, what does it profit? Years ago, my wife, uh, she was in Walmart, and as she was sitting there in line, the lady in front of her was going through the line, and, and it was time for her to pay for everything, 
and she realized that the amount that she owed and the amount of money she had on her, she didn't have enough to cover it. So all of a sudden she was just like telling the, the bagger, well, take, take that out and take that out, and now what's it come to? And my wife just saw it and walked up and said, no, stop. Just what's the difference? I'll pick up the difference. You know, because there was a lady in need. What if she needed, you know, I don't know if she needed everything in there, <coughs> but she clearly felt she did. And we had the means to, to help that person. Why wouldn't we do that? And so we see that. And what I love about this church, what I really love about this church is this is a church that exercises faith. There are kids that come in on this school bus that don't get three square meals a day. And this church offers breakfast on Sunday morning to those kids and they get a meal Wednesday evening when they come on Wednesday evening. Why? Because we see a need and we provide for that. What doth it profit? Remember that as believers, God expects us to step up and help those in need no matter who they are. Uh, understand, it is not the government's responsibility to help the needy, it's the church's. Our government's got it backwards. It's, it's not their responsibility. The government should be embracing churches, not trying to shut their doors. Galatians 6.10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. See, <coughs> we are supposed to take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ first. But there are also people in need in Stevensville who are lost. Their first need right now is Jesus Christ. And then ultimately, there are those who need other things. The, these kids that we're helping, their parents are lost. Their parents need help. They need Jesus. Many of their, kids, many of their parents may be involved in drugs or have financial issues. And if we can step up as a church or as, as individuals and help, we are expected to do so biblically. When we do this, God says, it is as if we have done it unto him. Matthew 25, verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Ye have done it unto me. You know, I just want to turn over. I actually read this passage this morning in my Bible reading. And uh, Matthew 25, verse 40. Go there real fast here. In verse 40, uh, 43, I was a stranger and ye took me not in, naked and ye clothed me not, sick and in prison and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall I answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to the one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. That was a little more convicting to me this morning. Yes, when we do the good things, that's great, but when we don't do them, that's dead faith. That's dead faith. 
when we step out in faith and put others uh, to help others, it is an expression of our love, both for an individual and for God. 1 John 3, 17, verse 18 says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother, have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, tongue, but in deed and in truth. Again, it boils down to we can say we love God. But God says, show me your love in deed and in truth. Don't just say you love me. Uh, when, as parents, we love our children. We raise our children. We provide for their needs. They see our love for them. I didn't just tell my son, hey, buddy, I love you. Get a job when he was three years old. Should have. But, <laughs> but ultimately, you know, we love them. We raise them. We take care of them. We, they know we love them by the way, because of our actions, not just because we say it. You know, and so we're to love others. You know, uh, remember, remember a while back on Valentine's Day, I preached on the great commandment. What is the great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto the first. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as you love yourself. Right? But who's your neighbor, right? Who's your neighbor? And, and, uh, um, and remember, that was part of uh, when, we, when we went into that. We talked about that. And we discussed, who is your neighbor? And uh, we see that here in Luke 10, verse 29 through 37. I put, in your, uh, passage there. I put the passage in your handout. Uh, it says, here, here's the guy that was asking Jesus. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And I love Jesus' answer here. And Jesus said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. <coughs> and by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these... Three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus, uh, then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Go and do thou likewise. We say we love Jesus, but are we doing what we're, are we living out our faith? Or is our faith a dead faith? See, the priest and the Levite, they believe in God. But their faith is a dead faith because they skirted around. They deliberately, uh, what's going on with that guy, huh? How often do we do that? Oh, that guy looks a little weird over there. I don't really want to go talk to him. Um, you know, those people, that looks like trouble. How often do we exercise true living faith 
or are we exercising that dead faith? The Samaritan practiced faith in God. His faith was in God. Remember, you are saved by grace. How? Through faith. Through faith. Uh, the priest and the Levite practiced dead faith. Look at verse 17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. It is dead being alone. A person who has a dead faith has a head knowledge of Jesus Christ, and in his mind he knows the way of salvation, but has never truly submitted to Christ as his Savior. He knows the right words to say, but never backs his words up with his works. Warren Worsby says it this way, he says, uh, Beware of a mere intellectual faith. No man can come to Christ by faith and remain the same any more than he can come to in contact with a 220 volt wire and remain the same. Yeah, I imagine you grab a 220 volt wire, you're going to be really a lot different. Going to have curlier hair. Okay? Right? When we trust in Christ, uh, and so and that's the idea here, First uh, John 5.12 says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. When you really genuinely trust Jesus as your Savior, your life changes. You have life. Because prior to it, you didn't. When we trust Christ our Savior, it brings everlasting life to the believer, and where there is life, there must be growth. And where there is growth, there must be fruit. Jesus told us, and you will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. So James warns us three times in this passage, verse 17, verse 20, and verse 26, that faith without works is dead. So what does, what does dead faith profit? Nothing. So let's take a look at the next type of faith that James discusses here. In verses 18 through 20, we see a demonic faith. A demonic faith. What does it profit? A demonic faith. Look at verse 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. This verse compares both uh, the faith that boasts of itself without works and a faith that is evidenced by works. Right? It, it talks about a faith that boasts of itself without works and one that is evidenced by works. And I really like Matthew Henry. He describes this uh, quite eloquently. It's, it, he's kind of old Englishy, but Matthew Henry says, Thou makest a profession and sayest thou hast faith. I make no such boasts, but I leave my works to speak for me. Now give any evidence of having the faith thou professest without works if you can. And I will soon let you see how my works flow from faith and are the undoubted evidence of its existence. The undoubted evidence of its existence. See, this is the evidence by which, all the, uh, by which the Scriptures all along teach men to judge both themselves and others. See, we can't know genuinely for sure uh, if a person is saved or not, right? But you will know them by their fruit. Uh, the Bible says, you know, he, he says here, you know, he makes it clear that your faith should be evidenced by your works. If you really are a believer, if you really trust Christ, it should be evidenced by your works. And this is the evidence according to which Christ will proceed on the day of judgment. 
Look at Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So let me make myself really clear. Works is not a requirement for salvation. But if we are genuinely saved, it should produce works. Out of our love for our Savior, we should be willing to obey His every command. And does not Jesus tell us, God uh, does not, He say, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So, are we obeying God in this command out of our love and appreciation for what He has done for us? We don't witness to be saved. We witness because we are saved. Our name isn't written in the book of life because of the works we did. Our name is written in the book of life because of our faith in Jesus Christ. But if our faith in Christ is genuine, then there will be works recorded in the book as well. But if it is not genuine, there are no works. And if there are no works, our name isn't in the book. The main idea here is that one should not simply boast of having faith in Jesus without doing something to give evidence of your faith through service to our Savior. Why? Well, look at verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. You say you believe in God, well, so do the demons. But it doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Does it surprise you that the demons believe in God? Do you, do you find that kind of, does that catch you off guard? I mean, what is it they actually believe? Well, they believe in Jesus. Mark 3, verses 11 and 12 says, And unclean spirits, when they saw Him, fell down before Him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. And they obeyed. Look, uh, they believed Jesus was the Son of God. They also believe in an eternal place of punishment. In Luke 8, verse 31, before Jesus cast them, uh, these demons into the swine, they said, they said, and they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. Referring to the abyss. To, it's not our time yet. There's verses that talk about, oh, Jesus, are you here to torment us before our time? Before our time. They know their time's up. They're, they're, they're limited. They know they don't have a lot of time left. That there's going to be an end. So they believe. And then we go to verse 20. Um. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? See, what I want you to see here is that the demons believe, yet they are not going to be in heaven one day simply because they believe. Neither will we if we put our faith in our words or a prayer rather than in Jesus Christ. See, we're saved by our belief, but it's a genuine belief in Christ, and it's wanting to be a follower of Christ and submitting to to Christ. They believe in who Jesus Christ is, but they're not going to submit and follow Him. 
they don't love Jesus. Don't be vain and boast in a prayer. Our boasting uh, in a Savior will be the evidence will be evidenced by our works. Again, works do not produce salvation, but genuine salvation should produce works. So up to this point, we have been able to determine that both dead faith and demonic faith profit nothing. Let's look at our final type of faith that James discusses in our passage this morning. It's a demonstrated faith. A demonstrated faith. We see this in verses 21 through 26. What doth it profit? What does a demonstrated faith profit? Look at verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? True saving faith leads to action. It demands that we obey God and do His work until He returns. James uses Abraham to illustrate uh, what he is trying to teach us, right? He's talking about Abraham here. Uh, And we all know the story about Abraham, right? That Abraham's God asked Abraham to take Isaac, his only begotten son, up to the mountain to sacrifice him, right? Now, Uh, Just a little precursor of the only begotten. Um, Is Isaac the only son of Abraham? Okay. So only begotten doesn't mean only son. Understand only begotten is used twice. Only begotten son is used twice in Scripture in reference to two people. Jesus Christ and Abraham. Or I mean Isaac. Understand that Jesus is not the only son of God. Because men, when we get saved, we trust Christ. Are we not adopted into the family of God? Are we not sons of God? So therefore, understand that there are, and another reason why I'm a King James guy, only begotten has been changed in some versions to say the only son. They refer to Isaac being Abraham's only son. That can't be true. Isaac is not Abraham's only son. Jesus the only Son of God, is not true. Otherwise, we couldn't be in the family of God. Begotten just tells us Jesus came to Mary because of God. He was begotten of God. And Sarah, who was not supposed to be able to have any children, had Isaac because he was begotten of God. Now, the difference is Abraham was still used in that process. No man was used in Jesus' process. Okay? Um, But understand, I want you to see that both of these children, Jesus is a miracle, the greatest miracle of all. But even Isaac is a miracle because Sarah wasn't supposed to be able to have children. And she did because of God. And she had the son. That's bonus. Okay? That's just bonus stuff this morning. But, But I want you to see, we know the story, right? That Abraham has his son the promised seed for the future nation of Israel. Through Isaac, he's been promised a great nation. Look at Genesis 22, 16-18. And said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, and you get the idea, this is the son that he was supposed to have, should have been his only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the sea shore, 
and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Remember the quote I gave you earlier uh, from Warren Wiersbe. Faith is confidence that God's word is true and conviction that acting on the word will bring a blessing. Abraham believed what God had told him. He said, the promised seed will come to your son Isaac. And after that, he said, now take your son and go kill him. Sacrifice him to me. Okay. He didn't hesitate. He grabbed up his son early in the morning. It said he rose early in the morning. And he took his son up there and was ready to plunge the knife into his heart when the angel of the Lord stopped him. He was stopped. He was provided another. Remember, God provided himself a sacrifice. <clears throat> Ultimately, we see that <clears throat> Abraham had total faith in what God had told him. Look at verse 22. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works <clears throat> was faith made perfect? So Abraham had total faith that God would take care of everything with regards to Isaac. His seed would continue... Uh, uh, some way, so Abraham obediently followed the command of God to sacrifice his son. I believe Abraham knew that, hey, even if I sacrifice my son, God's got to bring him back to me. God's going to resurrect him. God's going to bring him back because he's already promised that my seed will continue through Isaac. And Isaac's too young to, he was too young at that point. So he understood that something bigger was happening. His faith was made perfect because he gave evidence of his faith. All right. The word perfect here gives the idea of being genuine. Abraham's faith was genuine. Because of his genuine faith in God, he did the works that God asked him to do. He stepped out. He did what he was supposed to do. He, doesn't, he, he, he wasn't perfect. Don't get me wrong. He wasn't perfect because let alone there were other things that he failed in, right? That's why Ishmael's here. Because they didn't believe God was going to provide him a son or, or they felt they needed to help God along in the process. How often do we do that? Yeah, yeah, we'll help God with this process. No, just wait on God is what they should have done. But his faith was genuine. Look at verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Now we see that Abraham's faith in God was evidenced by a relationship with God. That's key, a relationship with God. Because of his faith in God, he was called a friend of God. That's a relationship, right? When we have friendships, we have relationships. Due to Abraham's relationship with God, he was willing to do whatever God asked him to do out of love and obedience. He understood who God is and wanted to honor that by putting his faith into action. We know Abraham by his fruit. Abraham is evidenced by what he had done. This is why I always like to emphasize this church, while it is a Baptist church, we don't gl glamorize our Baptist religion. This church isn't about religion, it's about a relationship. We are teaching people about Jesus Christ. We want them to be uh, believers in Christ. We want them to have a relationship in Jesus Christ. See, if we are about Baptist religion, then nothing's going to ever get done. And there are churches like that. And they're dying churches. 
We're not about the Baptist religion. We're about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, we, uh, and when we do that, uh, we build relationships. Think about your relationships with friends and family. You care about them. You love. You will do anything for them. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you'll do anything for Him. Especially when you consider what He's already done for you. Verse 24. You see now how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only? Now, keep, uh, keep an eye on that word justified. Justify, justification is an important doctrine in the Bible, just like faith is. It's very important. Uh, Warren Wiersbe gives a great description of justification here. He says, justification is the act of God whereby he declares that, believing, that the believing sinner righteousness on the basis of Christ's finished work on the cross. It is not a process. It is an act. It is not something the sinner does. It is something God does for the sinner when he trusts Christ. It is a once-for-all event, and it never changes. <coughs> How then can we tell if someone is justified through their faith? Right? Abraham's, exa Abraham's example answers this question. A justified person's life changes when they put their faith in God. You're justified by your faith in Jesus Christ, and if it is a genuine faith, now you will develop a relationship. Remember, we said if you, uh, once you get saved, salvation produces growth. Genuine salvation produces growth. What's growth? That's your relationship. That's getting to know Jesus. It's called sanctification. It's used in the Bible all over. Another important doctrine. Justification is where it starts. It's justified, not sinned, because I'm covered by Jesus' blood. I, he atones for my sins. God looks on me. He doesn't see Jim Patzer. He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. Holy and acceptable. That's why I can go boldly to the throne of grace and seek His petitions. Now, because I'm justified... My desire should be to sanctify. Be holy, for I am holy. Start walking like Christ. Your talk talks, but your walk talks more than your talk talks. Start looking and walking like Christ. How do I look like Christ? Well, you grab a mirror and you look in it. And you see what you can you see a picture of Jesus in here, and you can also see yourself in here. And this thing, the beauty, what's the beauty of a mirror? It shows you what's not right. How many of us got up this morning, looked in the mirror and said, good enough, I'm going to church? <laughs> no, I didn't. My wife can, but I can't. Okay? No. We fix what's wrong. Sanctification. It's growing closer to Christ. It's being like Christ. It's developing that relationship. And when we develop a relationship, now we love, we, we, our relationships develop love. I have a relationship with my children. I love my children. I have a relationship with my wife. I love my wife. I have a relationship with my parents. I love my parents. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? It's the only way you'll learn to love Him. A justified person's life changes when they put their faith in God, which results in a life of obedience to God and His Word. Therefore, his faith is evidenced by his works. He shall know them by their fruit. Abraham was not saved by faith, plus works. He was saved by faith that works. He was saved by a faith that works. 
What I want you to understand is that a demonstrated faith obeys God and is evidenced by the life that works for the Lord. Unfortunately, many Christians today fit into the description that Paul gives us in the book of Titus. Titus there in 1.6, he said, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. Being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. See, when we don't do the things that God expects us to do, when we, we deny, we essentially deny Him. You know, it is important that we are in church on Sundays. Why? Because we are not to forsake the assembling of believers. We are to be in church. We are to be as faithful as we can to church. Why? And when we do that, we now show our faith in Christ. Because we want to obey Him. When He tells us that we should go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. Are you telling people? Let me remind you, a lot of people use that. It's, it's thrown in our faces. Oh, this is a thing. Call to missions. Okay, yes it is. Let me remind you, Stevensville is part of all the world. The Bitterroot Valley is part of all the world. It's not just Africa. There are as many, if not more, people that need the Gospel in the United States. We send out missionaries, right? Oh, man, we're, we're a Christian nation. Not like we used to be. How long before people or countries are sending missionaries to the United States? But notice he says they profess that they know God, but by their works they deny Him. It's the lack thereof. They don't have any works. Titus 3.8 adds, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. See, it isn't just James that talks about works and how important they are. Uh, they wanted to keep this book out of the canon. Some of the people thought it shouldn't be in the canon. God knew it needed to be. That's why it's there. But let me understand, understand, Paul is warning us here. It isn't just James that touches on salvation that produces work. Paul calls on Christians to maintain good works. Why? Because it's profitable unto men. Jesus Himself set the example by working for the Father. In John 4, 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me, and to finish His work. John 9, 4, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. <clears throat> so finally, I want you to notice how James also teaches us about the principle of good works through the life of Rahab. But understand, there are some differences between Rahab and Abraham. Before we get into verse 25 that talks about Rahab, uh, there are some noticeable differences that I want you to just take note of. Okay, uh, Obviously, Abraham's a man. Rahab's a woman, right? Abraham was a Jew. Rahab was a Gentile. Abraham was a man of God. Uh, Rahab was a harlot. Why do I give you all these differences? Um, because I want you to see the, there's a huge similarity between these two. They both put their money where their mouth was when it came to their faith. They both exercised the same type of faith. They demonstrated their faith in God. It didn't matter who they were. Uh, understand that God didn't create Abraham to go to heaven and Rahab to go to hell. 
Rahab had the same opportunity Abraham had. He was a Jew, a chosen people. She was a Gentile. Jews looked down on Gentiles. They were lower than dogs. You had to become a Jew. No. Rahab is in heaven. It's not. They had the same opportunities. They both put their money where their mouth was when it came to their faith. Look at verse 25. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out the other way. I understand too, one other similarity. Both of these people are in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But with this verse 25, Matthew Henry says, uh, this Rahab believed the report she had heard of God's powerful presence with Israel. But that which proved her faith sincere was that to the hazard of her own life, she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Observe here, the wonderful power of faith in transforming and changing sinners. That's one. Two, the regard with uh, which an operative faith meets with from God to obtain His mercy and favor. And three, what great sins are pardoned. There must prefer, uh, there must prefer the honor of God and the good of His people before the preservation of her own country. Notice that she put God above her own people. Her faith in God was more important. She knew that Jericho was going to be destroyed. She, she saw the right... She, she was finding out about this one true God that the Jews followed. And her faith grew. And therefore, only her and the family members she was able to get to stay in her, in her home. Remember, they were the only ones spared in Jericho. The only one spared. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. The only people who will be spared in eternity in hell are those who trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Jesus is Noah's Ark. Jesus is Rahab's home. And if we don't get people into Rahab's home and into the Ark, they're going straight to hell. And the only way they're going to know about the truth of Jesus Christ, that He is the way, the only way to heaven, is if we exercise our faith. Uh, let's see here. Um, I guess continuing on, what uh, her former acquaintance must be discarded, her former course of life entirely abandoned, and she must give sig uh, signal proof and, uh, and evidence of this before she can be in a justified state. So she proved herself uh, justified. She, it wasn't the work that, that saved her. It was her faith, okay? And even after she was justified, yet her former character must be remembered, not so much to her dishonor as to glorify the rich grace and mercy of God. Though justified, she is called Rahab the harlot. Notice, too, that in Joshua, she is Rahab the harlot. <clears throat> and after we learn the story that she exercises her faith, and we know that she's in the hall of faith, and in the hall of faith, she is now known as Rahab the harlot. She still exercised her faith. It didn't change the fact that her lifestyle, that, but it did change her 
and she ultimately receives salvation. Um, trust me, God doesn't see the harlot anymore. But that's still how we are given her description and how she is described even in Hebrews. So, to conclude it all up, verse 26, close up. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Today we have learned about three types of faith. The first two being that of a dead and, or demonic faith. These are not profitable in any way. However, James shows us through the life of Abraham and Rahab that if we live a demonstrated faith and that uh, we live a faith that is profitable for eternity, or that we live a fa uh, faith that is profitable for eternity, we must never come to the conclusion that faith without works nor works without faith will ever justify or save us. Let me say that again. We must never come to the conclusion that faith without works nor works without faith will ever justify or save us. Think of it this way. Our faith is at the root while our good works are the fruit that springs up from that root, right? So our faith is the root. It's the plant. It's, it's, but what springs up from that plant, and then out of that plant comes fruit. But our faith is at the root of it. Therefore, we need both. You need both the root and the fruit so that there's evidence of your faith. Understand, friend, that all of this happens only by the grace of God. Remember Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith. Let's make sure we are showing evidence of our faith here in the Bitterroot Valley and in Stevensville in Christ every day. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Just want to offer a moment of invitation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No looking around. If you're able to stand, please. Stand for that, I'm sorry. Uh, um, Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just take a moment here to think. James discusses these three types of faith in his passage, but there's another type of faith that needs to be thought about too, and that's having no faith in Jesus Christ. Anybody that has no faith in Jesus Christ is lost for all eternity. And if, if there's anyone here this morning that has never trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, it's my prayer that today would be your day of salvation. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus personally, you've never had a, made a personal decision to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you've never asked Him to save you from your sins, if that's you and you're not 100% sure that if you were to die today, you'd spend eternity in heaven, would you slip your hand in the air? I'd like to pray for you. Anyone here like that? Nobody's looking around. No, not going to embarrass you. Not going to call you out. But if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, Believer, what type of faith have you been exercising? James shows us three faiths, three types of faith. There's the dead faith, the demonic faith, and a demonstrated faith. Which faith are you exercising? Maybe you're here today and, and you, you demonstrate faith, but we're not always good about doing it all the time. Maybe you've been that person who has uh, seen that person that needed help, and you were like the Levite or the priest, and you you kind of turned, looked the other way, and passed by on the other side. You know you could have done more. Maybe you know, I, I need to demonstrate my faith. I need to be stronger about demonstrating my faith. If that's you this morning and you'd like me to pray for you, would you slip your hand in the air? Anyone here like that? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. 
as the music plays, I want you to take time. Think on this morning's message. As the music plays, just ask God to help you to exercise a demonstrated faith this morning. As the music plays, this time is yours. Amen, everybody. Um, <clears throat> thank you again uh, for being here tonight. I do want to, I do want to take one second to mention. Uh, well, this was a kind of a tough message to preach on, um, talking about faith and works, and it can be often misunderstood. Uh, I'm thankful for Galilee Baptist Church, a church that exercises a demonstrated faith, uh, a church that uh, loves people and wants to see people in this valley saved. And so uh, my wife and I are super excited to be here. Uh, it's a little easier to preach this uh, when you're preaching to people who are demonstrating, but I know there's things that we could probably be better at, and that's why I still preached it, because we, we all have room for improvement. We catch ourselves, and myself 